NCC a little bit. You may know from some of the stories that I tell, or if you're new, you may not know this. I have very specific food preferences that I live my life by, okay? Some of you guys may be like this. My wife complains that I'm a picky eater. I like to tell her I just have a very refined palate, okay? I've cultivated some great taste buds, you guys, okay? And so, you know, it was probably Sarah and I had been married uh, maybe like five, seven years, and we had moved to a different church. We were youth pastors at that time and had moved to a different church. And we're coming back to visit some family friends. Um, it was this couple named Leo and Jean. They were an older couple and kind of adopted grandparents. They loved us so much. And um, I remember being at Jean's house and we were catching up on different stuff. We were back visiting and catching up on things. And she said, Aaron, I made you a special treat. I made you a pie because I know how much you love sweet stuff. And I was like, yes. Jean was an amazing cook, and so I was so looking forward to it. And so she goes in the kitchen, and she cuts this slice, and she brings out this giant slice of pie, and she said, Aaron, this is a coconut cream pie. You guys, my heart just dropped. Because if there's anything I hate in the world, it's this right here, okay? Yep, I'm sorry. When I was younger, my mom would actually try to hide coconut in recipes. And it's like I had a fifth sense, man. I could... I could smell it or something, I could, you know, just, if I would put it in my mouth, the texture, I just don't like coconut at all. And so Gene brings this, and it wasn't even like a small slice, it took up the entire plate, like this massive slice, and she brings it to me, and Sarah's looking at me, trying not to die laughing, because she knows I hate coconut. And she's like looking at me, and I don't want to hurt Gene's feelings, and so I'm like, hey, I'm determined, I'm going to eat this. And it took every ounce of strength, you guys. I don't know if I've ever prayed harder in my life. Like, Jesus, just let me be able to eat this. And so sure enough, I finished that entire slice of coconut cream pie. I did it because that's how much I love Gene and how awesome they were. Now, some of you guys may be like this. Like, maybe there's certain things like mustard or mayo or other things that you have, like, preferences. And you're like, there's no way I would ever eat that, Okay. So if there's any kids in the room, I want to encourage you, don't be a picky eater. It's hard on your parents, okay? But for the most part, being a picky eater isn't really that big of a deal, right? Like food preferences, all of us probably have that, different things that we prefer over other things. But here's the thing, it's not a problem when it comes to food. It is a problem when it comes to people. In the story that we're going to look at today, we see this issue arising in someone's heart and in someone's life. Because it's not just around food that they develop preferences, it's actually around people and the way that they connect, the way that they see other people around them. And through this, once again, we begin to see the heart of God and sometimes what's reflected in our heart 
as we continue in this series that we're calling Jonah, and it's over one of the books of the Bible. And maybe you've never read the story of Jonah or heard about Jonah. That's okay. Um, Not a problem at all. But this morning, we're going to look at the third and fourth chapter of the book of Jonah. And this is what we need to understand as we begin to approach this story. It's this. It's that Yahweh is madly in love with people. Okay? God is madly in love with people. As you read through the scripture, if you've ever read the Bible for yourself, this theme begins to come to the forefront that God loves us. And just like we sang in this last song as we were worshiping together, it's a really crazy kind of love. It's overwhelming. Like, it's a love that pursues us. It's a love that chases us down. God is passionately in love with us. And even as we walk through the story of Jonah, we see this, even when we run away from God, God does not give up on us. He doesn't quit on us. He keeps chasing us down. It's this kind of reckless amazing love that God has for us. Yahweh is madly in love with people. And we see this again in the story of Jonah. So if you've never read Jonah, that's okay. I'm going to give us kind of a quick snapshot and catch us up to where we're at. But I do want to encourage you to go back and read chapters one and two, because it's really great. It's just small book, only four chapters, really easy read, but there is so much that is packed into this one book. And so we started week one of this series looking at this where we see Jonah, is, we're told he's a prophet. Now that's just someone who declares the word of the Lord. So Jonah would hear a message from God, and he would deliver it to God's people. But one time, God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I have a message, but it's not for my people. It's for a different group of people, um, the Ninevites. It was for the city of Nineveh that was the capital of Assyria. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And God said, Jonah, I want you to go there and deliver a message. And Jonah said, no way, no how. I'm not going to do that, God, and ends up going in the opposite direction. Kind of goes what was the end of the then known world. He said, I'm going to get as far away from this as I can and gets on a boat or a ship and begins to travel in the Mediterranean Sea. And a storm catches up with Jonah. And Jonah realizes this is God trying to get his attention. Jonah is thrown overboard. And the Bible says that a great fish came and swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that large fish for three days and three nights. So that's where chapter one ends. Chapter two, we talked about this last week, was Jonah in the belly of a whale, and it's his prayer of repentance. It's him saying, God, I'm sorry. I should not have done this. I, I turned away from you, God. I recognize what I've, did, what I've done, and I'm sorry. And then at the end of chapter two, we're told that Jonah is then spit out, vomited, if you will, back onto dry land from this fish, and that he is going to begin to go and now do what God has told them. So in Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, we're starting kind of now at the beginning of chapter 3. This is what we're told, is that Jonah begins to set out. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. So he's going to Nineveh, where God originally told him to go, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, all, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, when you read this, there's some things that we need to understand to really get what's happening in chapter three or four, chapter three and four. And here's the first thing is Nineveh's a pretty large city. We're told later it was about 120,000, which may not seem like a whole lot to us because we live in the Dallas area, but probably at that time, it was one of the largest cities in the world at that point. And in another part of this story, we're told it may have been up to a three-day journey um, to get across the city of Nineveh. Now, 
that probably wasn't just Nineveh, but just like Dallas area, there was, you know, Mesquite, Garland, you know, Plano, Frisco, all of these surrounding areas um, that are around there. And that's probably what it was like in Nineveh. There were other small towns around there. So Jonah starts off on this day's journey, and he only gets one day in, and all of a sudden, people start to listen to the message that he's preaching. Now, this writer, as you begin to reflect on this, he's doing all of these small things that are kind of comical. Jonah gives kind of the least amount that he could do. Did you notice this? Doesn't give a lot of explanation. Like, it's really the minimum. He walks into this city, and this is all he says this right here. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Like, it's kind of like, God, I'm going to do what you say, but I'm only going to do, like, this small amount, like, and we're going to discover why. But, like, it's kind of really basic and comical how little Jonah actually says to the people of Nineveh, but it gets their attention. Like, right away, they start to notice, and we're told that their hearts begin to shift. Now, there may have been other reasons for this. Um, they worshipped the God that they worshipped in Nineveh in Assyria was Dagon. Um, if you look this up, he was known as a fish god. So some of the depictions, like the half top of his body was a fish, and the lower part were like the legs of a man. And then others have like the lower part like a fish and the top part like a man, kind of a merman. And that's their image of God. And so for Jonah to come from the sea, kind of like smelling like fish and probably even looked like he had been out in the middle of the sea, it like caught their attention really quick that God was trying to get their attention. And so their hearts turn and they begin to repent. But Jonah's not happy about this. And you start to see this, like this reoccurring theme, that Jonah starts off, God, I don't want to do this. And then he kind of gets in this difficult situation. He repents. And then even after he does it, the minimal kind of thing that he can do, he says, God, I, I'm really not happy about what's going on here, that Nineveh's hearts are starting to return to you or to turn back and, and repent from their wickedness. Now, as I started to think about this, um, I started to look at, like, why do we develop kind of racial biases and preferences against certain people and all of those things? And I came across this, maybe you've heard of this, of cross-racial phenomenon. I don't know if you guys have heard this. If you've ever seen any of the um, psychological studies where it is difficult for one group or one ethnicity of people to distinguish different features from people of a different race, that's what this is, and it's actually a scientific thing, okay? Where if you're from one race, like, it can be difficult to distinguish features and differences in people of another race. And so there was a study um, in the Associated um, Scientific Psychological Press that was put out at the University of Miami where they studied this. And it really didn't matter what race, if you saw people from a different race, it became different to distinguish other features. So the people at the University of Miami, they said, is this like a racial thing? Like, what's going on here? And they quickly discovered it's not actually a racial thing. They took University of Miami students and showed them people of their same race, but told them they go to a different university, and all of a sudden they had that same difficulty distinguishing those same kind of features. And here's why. Whenever you and I put someone else in a group outside of ourselves, and tell ourselves, they're not like us. They're different. They're not the same as me. They're, they're out there somewhere else, and we're not connected. All of a sudden, something happens on the subconscious level of our minds that begins to confuse us in ways, and we justify disconnections and segregations and separations like they're okay. Doesn't necessarily have to do with race. It's whenever we tell ourselves, 
they're not like us. And you guys, this is where Jonah finds himself. And this is the difficulty that he finds himself in. It's, it's saying, God, I'm not happy with Nineveh repenting. I'm not happy with Nineveh turning from their wickedness because of this. Now, before we point the fingers at Jonah and we get mad at him and we call him a racist prophet or any of these things, you need to know one other factor that's playing in to this story here. And that is Assyria is known for their cruelty. Matter of fact, when I googled like Assyrian culture, one of the first things that came up were this was one of the most cruel and wicked empires that have ever existed, especially in the ancient world. And the title of the article that I found was this, Impalement, Amputation, and Filleting of Their Enemies. So when Assyria would come across an enemy, anyone that displeased them, anyone that they didn't like, those were the practices. I mean, very cruel torture. And a matter of fact, on some of the ancient runes that we still have, there are pictures, there's kind of um, drawings of this, of the cruelty that they would practice. They would even go into other cultures and draw this to scare people. And so that's what they would do is if you were fighting against them, if you led any kind of rebellion, if you didn't do something that they would like, they would impale you. They would drive a stick through your abdomen, up through your chest, and just let you slowly die. They would skin people alive layer by layer, just cutting off, of their, cutting off the skin. They would amputate part of, their limb, part of your limbs if you did something that displeased them, if you spoke against the king. So when I read this story and thought about that, I'm thinking this is just kind of self-preservation for Jonah, right? Like, God, I'm not going to Nineveh because I know what they do to people, right? Like, I don't want to die. I don't want to end up losing one of my limbs or getting stuck kind of um, impaled somewhere because I said something that displeased the king or displeased the people of Assyria. So this is what they were known for. This is what they were known like. And this is where Jonah's at. And so as you read this, that's what you start to think is, well, this is the kind of people that they are. But this is what you need to understand as we get into this story. It's that God is not like us. And Yahweh is gracious and he is a compassionate God. And this may seem like such a simple statement, but if you don't understand this, you won't get to the main point that the author is bringing us to at the end of the story. Yahweh is a gracious and compassionate God. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. This is after Nineveh has repented, kind of at the end of this, when God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Excuse me. And then in the next verse, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said to you, Yahweh, when I was still at my home? This is why, why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And if you're not catching it, this is the irony of the story right here. Look at what Jonah is saying. This is the moment, like if you've been reading this, right? Like God says something to Jonah, Jonah flees. Um, Jonah realizes, man, I've disobeyed God. God gives him a second chance. Jonah cries out, I'm sorry. God gives him a second chance. Jonah then goes to Nineveh. He preaches this message, right? And then the people repent. 
And this should be the moment where Jonah is jumping up and down like, God, you did it, right? They're sorry. They're turning from their wicked ways. They're sorry for what they did. But it's not. This is where Jonah gets really frustrated and mad at God. And look at why he's mad at God. I knew what kind of God you are. You are gracious and compassionate. A matter of fact, Yahweh, when I was back at my house, I told you this is what you were going to do, and I did not want you to do this. Now, this is the part of this story that I've missed for all growing up and reading this. I really got so kind of sucked into the idea of a man living in the belly of a fish for three days. I missed this whole part of the story of Jonah knew the character of God backwards and forwards. And I know around this room, there's a lot of us that grew up with a lot of thoughts about God. Some of you guys, um, you didn't ever go to church growing up. So everything you knew about God was what TV told you and what Christians were like. And that's what developed your thoughts about God. Well, he's kind of a bigot. He's judgmental. He's mad at his creation like he hates us. Others of you even grew up in a church where you came to those ideas of, Yep, God's just waiting for us to mess everything up. Or he's some God kind of at the other end of the world. And he's like, you broke my creation. Now you just figure it out on your own. And God's disconnected from us. Jonah would say, no, that's not who God is at all. He is a gracious and compassionate God. That's who he is. A matter of fact, I could have told you at the beginning of this story, he was going to find a way to forgive the Assyrians. And you guys, I read this part of the story, and I've done this almost every week as we've been walking through the series. I get to this part, and I just break down and cry. Because you guys, sometimes I still think he's mad at me. And I still think he's some God that's angry, or he's some God up in heaven kind of taking notes of every point that I mess up. And what the author is saying is, no, that's not who he is at all. He's gracious and compassionate. This is the God who's just looking for ways to forgive us. This is the God who wants to give a second chance to his people. And when we mess up, he's the God who gives a third chance and a fourth chance and a 10,000th chance. He just keeps forgiving us. He's going to find a way to forgive us. Jonah knew this, and it really frustrated Jonah. But Jonah knew who God was. He's saying, Yahweh, you are gracious and compassionate. And Jonah's actually quoting from an early part of the scriptures. Now, in Exodus chapter 34, there's a reason Jonah says this, and that's the reason why. If you've never read the book of Exodus, that's okay. This is where God gives his people the Ten Commandments. If you've ever heard about the Ten Commandments, it comes from Exodus, kind of this section of scripture right here. And God's meeting with his people on a mountain. He's just brought them out of 400 years of slavery And he's telling them about who he is and what he desires for their life. And so many times, once again, we get focused on the Ten Commandments, and that's not even the greatest thing that happens on the mountain. Exodus 34 is probably the best thing that happens on that mountain. When Moses is talking to God, and he's like, God, who are you? Like, just tell me. I want to see you. I want to know who you are. And this is what God says in Exodus 34. It says that as God passed, as Yahweh passed in front of Moses, he said, this is who I am. I am Yahweh. I am the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and in faithfulness. I maintain love to thousands and I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Those are the exact words Jonah is quoting to God. God, I know who you are. You told my ancestors thousands of years ago who you are. I know what kind of God you are. 
you're gracious and compassionate. Is that your image of God? When you talk about God, is that how you talk about him? Because that's how God introduces himself. So I'm not even saying this is what we should think about God. This is what God is saying. Hey, I want you to know who I am. This is who I am. And you guys, you turn on the TV for a few minutes, and that's not what people think about Christians, and that's not what people think about God. So I need you to realize this, because this brings us to the point, is you have to understand this. I'm kind of hanging with this point for a moment here. He is a gracious and compassionate God. Your family members, when they think about the God that you serve, is that what they use to describe him? He is looking for ways to forgive people. He's looking for ways to demonstrate his love to us. That's the kind of God he is. That's what he says about himself. Even Jonah, who's upset and frustrated, he's like, I knew this is what kind of God you were. You were going to find a way to forgive the Ninevites. And Jonah did not like that. But that's who God is. And here's why this is so important to understand. Look what happens. And I wish we had time to read through all of this. Please go back and read. Definitely read chapters 3 and 4 to kind of get all of this. Jonah gets so mad, he goes up onto a hilltop after Nineveh has repented. Okay? He goes up on top of a hill, and he kind of sits there. We're not told exactly how long he sits there. I'm not for sure. But he sits there because he's hoping, God, maybe I got it wrong. You're just taking a few days to do this. God, maybe it's going to take a week or a month, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch you destroy those people. Okay, so, so I'm willing to do this. Now, um, many of you guys know John Jones, and he helps us so much with like, our teaching team and a lot of the research. He messaged me as we were working on this message, and he said, Aaron, do you realize that Nineveh's in the middle of the desert? And even this morning, he said, you know, in the morning right now in Nineveh, um, kind of in that area in the Assyrian, what was ancient Assyria, it's, what'd you say, like 108? 108 right now as he gets further along in the day like it continues to heat up right and jonah is willing to sit and suffer i mean it's hot here in texas imagine about another 10 degrees right and he's willing to sit there and suffer just in hopes of god i'm gonna get to see you destroy my enemies and then we're told that a tree is there like there's a little branch or a shade kind of, you know, with giant leaves, this kind of bush that is there. And so Jonah goes to sit under that. It's still hot, but he's got a little bit of shade saying, God, I'm willing to wait you out. Can you please kill my enemies? I'm willing to wait this out. Horrible heat, right? I mean, we're doing NCC hangout. We had to move it inside because it's over 100. And Jonah's like, I'm willing to be outside just to see you do this, God. This is kind of Jonah's heart in all of this. And then the Bible says that a worm came, ate a little bit of the bush, like it starts to wither and die. And Jonah once again says, God, just kill me. Like, I'm done with this, okay? You're not destroying my enemies. Now all of a sudden I don't have shade. My life is not getting any better. What's going on here? And look at how the end of this story, look at how it finishes. Jonah chapter 4, verse 10. But then the Lord says to Jonah, you have been concerned about this plant. Just this small bush that had shade. Though you didn't tend it, you didn't make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Jonah, you're concerned about this small tree. Shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh? There are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. 
Now, one of the passages that I read said this is kind of like a little bit of a joke here. God's trying to lighten the situation with humor just to get Jonah to see how ridiculous this is. So he's saying, Jonah, you're right. They're not like you. Um, I think the Assyrians wrote like and read right to left, and the Hebrew people read and wrote like left to right. And so he's saying, yeah, they're different than you, but like shouldn't I be concerned for them? And then someone said, this may have been a joke at the end, like, Jonah, if you don't love people, are you an animal person? Like, will you let me spare Nineveh just because there's some cute dogs there, there's a cute cat, like, there's some animals there, Jonah, like, can we get on the same page about that? Like, God is trying to help Jonah to see how ridiculous this is, and then this is how the story stops. We don't know if Jonah ever turned. We don't know if Jonah, if his heart shifts, we don't know if he ever gives another message from God, like we don't know where this story ends, and it's like that on purpose, and here's why. The author wants you to examine this. Do you reflect the heart of Yahweh? We're not given a resolution to Jonah's story because we're meant to be brought to this question where God says, I'm concerned for people. Are you? My heart is for people that are broken. Is yours? A matter of fact, God would go so much to say, the person you think is your enemy that has wronged you, that has hurt you, that's put you through difficult times in your life, that you have felt the pain, right? Like Jonah lived in a nation that felt the cruelty of Assyria. And God's saying, even in that, I love those people, Jonah. Do you? God is saying, I'm offering forgiveness to you. Can you reflect my heart and offer forgiveness to other people? See, this book ends with a question because the author wants to bring us to that point of, do you reflect the heart of God? We can think we're really religious people like Jonah. And God is saying, this is how you're like me as you reflect my heart. I am gracious and I am compassionate and I am full of love. Are you? And you guys, we can read through a story in the scriptures like this and if we're not careful, we read quickly and we get caught up on the crazy parts of it, right? And God didn't write this so you and I would just believe that he can do miraculous stuff. He can, and he did. I mean, that's a crazy story, but that's not the entire point of this. It's, is your heart like Yahweh's? Because what had happened is the nation of Israel, they had started making preferences about other people. You're not like me. You're on the outside, and I'm the one that God loves. And through the irony of this story, God's showing, no, those who are my people, they reflect my heart. You guys, can we just get real for a moment? We live in a world that's broken. We live in a messed up world where a lot of us experience this kind of hurt and pain that Jonah probably went through. And it can feel so icky and so gross and so difficult to think we're called to love some of the worst people in the world. That's hard when we read the headlines in the news of people suffering and people dying needlessly and people going through difficult things. And our first thought is to cry out for justice when it's someone else. And when it's us, we're like Jonah praying for that second chance. And God says, no, I want you to reflect my heart. And you guys, what this world needs is not more of our justice, not more of what we think would make it right. It needs more of the love of our Heavenly Father, who is gracious and compassionate. 
And can I tell you this? God, so many times when I've been in difficult moments of people that have hurt me, has just simply had to remind me, Aaron, how have I forgiven you? And it kind of closes down the conversation pretty quick when I'm like, God, I've rebelled against you. And I'm responsible for Jesus going to that cross. I'd like to point fingers at other people, God, but that's me. I hurt your son through my sin and through my actions. And yet you kept loving me and you still do. And you kept forgiving me and you still do. And so, God, maybe I need to reflect your heart better to people that have hurt me. And this is a difficult message, you guys. This probably isn't where we thought we'd end up with Jonah. (laughs) On this kind of gut-wrenching message of, God, you have called us to love some of the most difficult people in the world because you love us. And we're pretty difficult people to love. And so this end question is simply that. Do you reflect the heart of Yahweh? Have you learned to love as he loves? And so we've been doing this and we're going to keep doing this. Is we're going to just take a moment as we close in prayer and just ask God, help us to think about someone that is disconnected from you. Maybe it's not someone like the Ninevites who you really hate. Maybe it's someone who you do love, but they don't know God. And God's desire is that they would know his forgiveness. And that they wouldn't run away from God, but they would run towards him. He wants a relationship with them. And so in your seats, it may be in the seat right in front of you, there's a card that if you've been here for this year, you've seen this a lot, but it just says the one on it. And for some of you, you may not need to write someone's name. You may need to write a group of people that have done this and it's hurt me. But God, you're asking me to forgive them. And my desire is that they would know you. You've been holding on to bitterness, thinking, God, I'd really love to see them get justice. And this morning, God's reminding us, no, God loves them. He's gracious and compassionate. His desire is that they would know God's forgiveness. For others of you, it may be someone close to you that you're like, they're disconnected from God, and I so desperately want them to know the love of God. And so I want you to do that with that pen that's in the seat in front of you. Just take a moment and write someone's name that you're like, I I think or I know they're disconnected from God. I'm going to pray this week that they would come to know him. Could be someone on the other side of the world. It could be someone right here that's in your life. And that's who we're going to be. We are going to be people who reflect the heart of Yahweh. When it's easy because it's someone we love. When it's difficult because we see the headlines in a news article. And we think, man, God, they should just get justice. And God says, but I love them. And so I want you to hold that in your hand, and we're just going to take a moment and pray. If you're here, maybe you're realizing for the first time the love of God, or maybe you understand the love of God, and our prayers that the whole world would know that kind of love. Let's pray together. God, I'll be honest, sometimes it's easier for me to be like Jonah than it is you. And yet I read a story like this, God, and I'm moved because I see your tremendous love and you are a God that is gracious and compassionate. And even when it's difficult, God, you have loved me. And so I'm praying this morning for each of us, God, let us reflect your heart, Yahweh. Let us reflect your love and your compassion and your goodness and your forgiveness, God. And so I'm praying, Lord, for our neighbor, for our coworker, for our friend that does not know you, God. Maybe they've been running from you like Jonah. They've been trying to do things their own way. And God, our prayer this morning is bring them back to you, God. 
But Lord, this morning we also pause and we pray for people that we see as wicked, God, and that are doing extremely cruel things in the world and that have hurt people that we love, God. And we're also praying for your mercy over their lives. As hard as that is, God, we're praying let something change inside of them, God. Let them see your tremendous love, God, and let their hearts turn back to you, God. And Lord, we offer them our forgiveness because you have forgiven us, God, and you desire to forgive them. And so I'm praying that, God, let us be a church that loves those that are difficult to love, God. Let us be a church that reflects your heart, God. The world around us so desperately needs to see that, God. A church that knows how to love well, God. A church that knows how to forgive, God. A church that speaks your truth in love, God. That's our prayer. And so I pray that, God, for anyone disconnected from you, God, whether they're close to our life, whether they're distant, God, help us to love them well. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, we're going to pray one more prayer together before we're dismissed this morning. And I don't want to leave a message like this without this opportunity. You may be here and saying, Aaron, I'm kind of like Jonah in this story. I've been doing things my own way. And maybe I'm someone, I, I need a relationship with God. Maybe someone invited you and you're just joining us online for the first time, but your image of God has been something different. But this morning through this message, you're realizing maybe there is a God who loves me. And that's the story of scriptures. That's, that's the story that God's revealing himself, that when we could not fix ourselves, Jesus came and he died on the cross and he gave himself for us. He lived here on this earth to be close to us and to bring us back into a relationship with himself. And the scriptures teach us we can't be good enough. We can't try to fix ourselves on our own. It's only through the work of what Jesus did on the cross. He took our place. And so if that's you, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that very simply does this. It acknowledges, God, I've sinned. There have been points in my life where I've rebelled against you, where I've done things my own way. I'm sorry, God. And this morning, I admit that, and I invite you into my life, Lord, to change me. I want a relationship with you. And so I'm going to ask, we do this every week, but that everyone prays this because there may be someone here this morning or someone worshiping with us online and we don't want anyone praying alone. So I want everyone to pray this out loud. Let's say this together this morning, church. Jesus, I come to you. I know that I've messed up. I admit that I've sinned. And I need a brand new start. Forgive me of my sins. I invite you into my life. Be the Savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Make me new. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, church, can you put your hands together and celebrate for anyone who prayed that prayer? This is what the Bible says. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices, that heaven is celebrating. If even one person prayed that prayer and said, God, I need a relationship with you, God, and I want to come back to you. And so if that's you this morning, we're celebrating and we're rejoicing with you. And we would love to be able to walk alongside of you. We don't believe anyone should have to do this Christian journey alone or follow God alone. And so you can connect with us very simply. Just go to New Community dot co slash new life new community dot co slash new life so you can go right there and let us know hey i prayed that prayer 
and one of our team members is going to reach out to you. We just want to encourage you. We want to celebrate what God's doing in your life. And we want to walk alongside of you as you begin this journey with Jesus. So I want to encourage you, take a moment, do that. Let us know that you prayed that prayer, that God's doing something in your life. And this week, we're believing that as God is working in you, as he's doing something new in you, we're going to celebrate with you and encourage you all that God is doing in making you new. Thank you.